Hello and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 97 and we're reviewing Mob Psycho 102. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. And yeah, we finished Mob Psycho 102 in preparation for Mob Psycho 103, which I believe premieres sometime in October 2022. Well, I think we will get a special sneak peek at the beginning of season three. I think the first two episodes when we attend Crunchyroll Expo in San Jose in a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That was a cool announcement. I don't know, like if we're gonna do some sort of special discussion maybe we'll talk a little bit about it in one of our patreon bonus episodes but i also don't want to spoil it like it's gonna be weird to talk about because we're like one of the few who'll have seen it by then so if anyone listens they're just gonna get a bunch of spoilers for the beginning of the season yeah and i know even during i think it was anime expo where they had a panel discussing the preview or like i think they showed the op and they had ask the audience not to share it anywhere online and then it eventually got leaked because you know people online and the the production team was a bit disappointed so i don't want to be on that part of of the internet that you know leaks stuff out before it should should be properly released maybe we can find a way to do like a spoiler free discussion on the first two episodes but i have a feeling like well i'm not i'm not surprised people leaked the op because yeah this is this is America. This is the U.S. We we do things that maybe they wouldn't do in Japan. So I think they're a little more trusting in Japan than they should be here. I think another group of people that we can find most trusting is our patrons. Hell yeah. And speaking of that, we have a new patron that we want to shout out. Welcome, Miles W., to the Strictly Series Patreon. Thank you so much for becoming a patron and supporting us. Yes, to tie in with today's episode, your support, Miles, has has us hyped at a questionable percentage level. Not <laughs> over one hundred percent. Yeah, not questionably low, but questionably high, just like Mob. What I'm trying to say is that we see you and we appreciate you. <laughs> that was my <laughs> long-winded explanation. Hey, you tied it into Mob Psycho. That that's good. But yes, we we very much appreciate you, Miles. Thank you so much for your support. And if anyone listening would like to also support the podcast, you can do so at Patreon and get access to things like bonus episodes, our pre-show that we have once a week, our show schedule if you're curious to know what's coming up in the month ahead, you can submit questions to us, etc. All of that is over at patreon.com/strictlyseries. So Mob Psycho 102, what were your biggest takeaways from the second season? And how did it compare to season one? I think in our first review, just like Mob, I showed a kind of lack of enthusiasm for the series. But I think a lot of people, especially on the internet, were saying that season two is is a lot better than season one. And I, I, I kind of agree. I, I find this season to be a pretty considerable improvement over the first season. It contains a lot of episodes that kind of plant the seeds to develop Mob's overall thinking and ideologies by the end of this season. And I know that he kind of did that in the first season with more so of like him not knowing how to use his powers, but here like he knows what he's capable of. He knows he should be using them for the right things. But now it's the matter of, I guess, connecting with others and trying to 
relay that same sort of ideology with the other psychics and espers out in the world. Yeah, I agree. If there's two things that the second season improved upon from the first season, one is character development. We, we got a little bit of that in the in the first season. You know, I get it. They're, they're introducing us to the world, doing that world building, helping us understand who these characters are and what their purpose is. Season two, I felt like hit the ground running saying, you know everything you need to know from season one, and we're going to take it and we're going to move it forward. And I would say almost every character had some level of, of growth and development. I would say the other thing, which is a the strongest suit, and I think it's it's something that that we've heard a lot about going into this is the animation and the fight choreography. Like that was absolutely the highlight of this season. There wasn't a single fight that was boring. None of the fights felt similar to any other. They were all incredibly unique, again, especially in the way that they were animated. And I, I felt like all of that animation and choreography was so well thought out and purposeful. I loved every second of every fight big or small yeah i mean it, it's studio bones i think they they've been doing mob for this these two seasons and i'm pretty sure for the third uh i know like the the action sequence sequences unlike the the other anime that they're working on my hero they're not flashy they i always call them they kind of look like sketchbook sequences with how they're animated but it does have like the the psychedelic colors and such so um, it is a, a unique way to present the action of the show, but I think it, it fits in with, you know, like the style of Mob Cycle, especially with, again, Mob being a bland character. You have these, not, not like bland sequences, but nothing that's so bombastic as what you'd expect in My Hero. A lot of people I've seen have called this kind of like a slice of life anime, technically. Um, and I feel like it definitely does have those aspects, especially especially in the beginning of season one and season two. I think halfway through each of those seasons, that's when it sort of took off in terms of the villain for that season being introduced and the, the main conflict and all of that. But the first half very much felt slice of life. And I think what what breaks that up and doesn't make it feel like as much of a not that not that slice of life is boring but less of like a, a slow moving slice of life is the animation that you get not only in fight scenes but at just like random moments this is like a very artistic type of show where they mesh a, bun a bunch of different animation styles together and i think it all works so well it's a very like ambitious very risky thing to do but i think they pull it off so well and, and even better in season two i will say though that the, the second half of this season just felt a little too similar to the final arc of the first season with with Claw still being like the, the big baddie that Mob quote-unquote has to fight against. Uh, it was a little bit too derivative, and I know there's a little bit of closure with uh, with Sho, the, the ginger-haired character that we see at the end of the first season, uh, but it, it kind of just throws... I felt like it just threw everything... It just threw in a huge, like, antagonist plot line just to kind of close out the season um, and sh just to showcase Mob's powers again. But I, it does tie in with, again, his journey to what he wants to get out of his life. Now that you say that, I, I completely see that. I, I You're right. It's almost formulaic now, the way they structured season one and season two. Basically, exactly how I unintentionally described it, where the first half of the show is the slice of life stuff. Mob at school, mob, you know, having crushes on girls or whatever, or Tsubomi, um, being with his, you know, bodybuilding club, 
doing whatever random shit he's got to do with Reagan. And then halfway through, boom, we've got an antagonist. We've got a villain. We've got like a, a main goal to progress toward. And then at the end, it's resolved and everyone's kind of happy. I think season one had more of a cliffhanger ending than, and had more mystery behind that ending than season mm-hmm. two. But I felt like season two was pretty neatly wrapped up in a bow, almost as a detriment to how the story could move forward. So we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the later episodes. I think we're going to try something a little bit different now with our discussion before we dive into our episode-by-episode analysis is we want to bring up the OP and ED first um, just to kind of keep the conversation flowing into our regular discussion. I think that makes it a little more seamless in transition. So OP, we have... The song 99.9, again, by the Mob Choir, who did the OP for the first season, which I don't think they're an actual group. It's just like a collaborative project between these musicians. Um, And a rare occasion, I actually find this song to be more of a vibe than the first OP. Interesting. Okay. Why is that? I think it's just more, it sounds more catchy. It's it's more hype, I want to say, in a way. Especially, you know, in the, again, get ready, whatever, whatever the thing <laughs> is. Um, and I just love how it opens up with the, like that toy carousel of, I think it's Mob, Reagan, and Teru. And then you have, <laughs> I, I pay attention to Reagan where he's like throwing pocket salt. <laughs> pocket um, salt. Yeah, in the carousel. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I vibe with the song a little bit more and maybe it's the chance and just the epic chorus as well. And it, I, I just, I don't know, like it, the first OP just didn't cut it for me, but this one does. I, I can see what you mean. The second OP 99.9 has a, a brighter feel, like more of a fun energy to it versus the first OP that has more of that epic vibe. Um, it's not like hardcore or anything, but it has more of like a, a dark tone to it. If that's a good way of describing it, the versus first OP. yeah, versus yeah, yeah. the second one, which is again brighter um, all around. I I I wonder what they're gonna name the third OP. Did they announce the name? I saw the leak of what the title is. I'm not gonna reveal it. Okay, but I know like yeah. What was the, the last one? Was ninety nine? Ninety nine. Then you have ninety nine point nine. So is it gonna be ninety nine point nine repeating? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of hope so, but we'll yeah. see. <laughs> like a question mark or something. Again, I'm not gonna say what the actual title is, but yeah, was there anything that else that stuck out to you about this OP? I I think it's it was just as psychedelic as the original. Oh, I know there's one thing in it that you enjoy. I really like the part where they okay, I, this is gonna be so hard to describe because yes, this is a very very odd OP visually, but I I want to say it's in the first half where they have all of the characters on the lower half of the screen kind of pop up and then fall down in almost like a wave. And as you, mm-hmm. as they all kind of like pop up and, and they start falling back down, their faces turn into panic because they're falling. And I think my favorite face is Reagan's. <laughs> he like pops up in the middle and then like freaks out as he falls back down. Just something about that looks really just satisfying. The animation is just perfectly timed and smooth. So every time we'd watch the OP, I was like excited to see that part. Yeah, everyone's heads bob up and down in a very smooth motion. I guess if if I if we call it the carousel at the very start of the OP, it's like these characters are on a sort of roller coaster going up and down. Um, but yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> the head bobbing part is probably the one that sticks out the 
or besides the car- carousel. With the it, pocket salt? <laughs> yeah. Those two parts of this OP stick out the most. And with the ED, I believe the song is Gray. Or no, sorry. I think it's Sajo no Hana by Gray. And there are other themes that are used in the ED as well throughout this second season. Memo Sepia, Mabuta no Ura, Under the Eyelids, and Ikiro Hitobito, or Living People. Am I dumb? I thought that it was all the same song throughout the whole season. I didn't realize there were four different songs at any given episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I had it mixed up. It's Grey by Sajo Nohana. Uh, Sajo Nohana is the name of the band. But yeah, they had different songs playing during certain episodes. So same band before different songs used. Yes. The what main the one being <laughs> Did yeah, I the, miss this? The main one being Grey, which is like a kind of like a slow slow rock ballad with a with a female singer. Hold on, I'm actually an idiot. I'm so stupid. The main song is Memo Sepia by Sajo Nohana, with the other three being Grey, Mabuta no Ura, or Under the Eyelids, and Ikiru Hope. Hitobito or living people. I I really don't don't have much to say musically about this one. I think it's just like a standard, like slow slow ED. I mean, to be fair, we did skip the ED a lot, so maybe yeah. we just didn't realize. <laughs> um, I will say the visuals are really fucking cute, like really mm. cute. I I love. I'm not always into like chibi animation for, you know. OPs or EDs or like special episodes or OVAs because sometimes they'll do like a DVD special episode where it's everyone in their chibi form. Uh, this one I did find really cute just because Mob is drawn like cuter than normal. I think it, it's like a, a South Park version of Mob and the other characters because it's almost like paper craft that you see. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's really all I had to say about the ED. Though. I think I do like the ED visually better than the first one. The first one was cool. It was like that, like a almost like a pencil sketch of sorts, mm, like an like a stop yeah. motion type of thing. Uh, but again, like that ED had a darker feel to it than this second season ED, which I felt was still kind of moody, but it had a, a brighter tone overall. Especially because Mob has made more friends this season and before i think he just had his brother and and reagan yeah (laughs) and so we move right along and wake up our psyches as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for mob psycho 102 which is the 2019 anime adaptation of the manga series created by one produced by bones and directed by yuzuru tachikawa the second season follows middle school esper shigeo kageyama aka mob as he continues to struggle climbing the social ladder while Reagan and other psycho-slash-psychedelic forces push his beleaguered buttons. In episode 1, Ripped Apart, Someone is Watching, the symbiotically psychotic duo of Reagan and One Punch Mob open up season 2 by heading to Farmville for agricultural exorcism, but Mob is thrown back into his pathetically plain ways when he fails epically at a student council presidential campaign at classmate Mizado's suggestion. Not all hope is lost when Mob befriends secondary love interest Emmy, who despite being dared to strike up a convo with him, is vehemently defeated by our plain-faced protagonist in front of her mean girl's friends, is inspiring her to write a story about her ho-hum hero, though I'm pretty sure that's called plagiarism. I was not expecting this episode to end up being so wholesome. 
especially as the introductory episode for the season. I, I thought it was great. Like I figured Emmy didn't actually have feelings for Mob and was tricking him. I think they they kind of hinted at that at that pretty strongly. But then they turned it around and established a friendship between them. And the way he stood up for her and helped her pick up the pieces of her novel was great. And I think the best part was the way they animated him using his powers to put all the pieces back together. It was so magical the way it was done. Just like very ins- like inspirational and positive and I don't know, some sort of Disney magic kind of shit. <laughs> and I think it was highlighted by he says the line, you need to pick thing you need to pick up things you feel are important as he's standing up for Emmy and that, you know, that just touches in her, her in a way that her other friends could never understand. Yeah. And I think that's the quality of Mob. Again, it's hard for him to kind of be in these social circles because he feel he felt out of place with his powers. But again, it, it's that part of his personality that really shines through his his empathy for others. That is again heightened by his responsibility to use his powers for a greater good, and that's what he's doing here. Um, even though he's still learning about what he truly wants out of life, I think this is one step that he's taken to again achieving what he learns about himself this season and we also have to remember the kids in fucking middle school like he's not gonna have his shit figured out or know what what he wants to do in life like yeah he's pretty directionless in season one so i think he's starting to kind of get a feel for what his place is in the world and what he can offer to the world with his powers but sometimes i'm like damn there's too much pressure on mob to make a decision he's he's only in middle middle school you shouldn't have to deal with those kind of pressures until you get to like college and you have to pick a fucking major (laughs) even then that's a little too early sometimes but we do get immediate character development and i think that's really important like they wasted no time showing us that mob is improving over the mob we knew from season one because here he decides to show his powers to someone on his own for the very first time and makes decisions on how um like how he can kind of own his powers and he acknowledges what he wants versus like doing what's what he's told or asked to do and you even have that quick moment of like tsubomi like looking at mob and emmy saying something like nice or like good job mob something something supportive right like she saw what he did i think she said smooth yeah yeah she said smooth i was like all right even tsubomi understands it's in Stark contrast to the beginning of the episode. I, I mean, yeah, there's the part where Reagan has Mob take out that, what's it, like a plant-based psychic or haunted ghost. Oh, the scarecrow? Yeah, it was yeah. a scarecrow. So, that you know, that's just, again, establishing that Mob is OP with his powers. But then you have the scene where his classmate, I think Mezato, uh, wants him to run for student council president but he freezes up mm-hmm. um, on stage so it's clear that like that he, that's not the way that he wants to like connect with others or or be recognized as but then you have the scene with emmy where again he's he's having like heart-to-heart conversations in their quote-unquote dating phase and then saving her from her friends at the end i think that's that's what he truly desires and i think subomi re- realizes that's who the real mob is I kind of wish we saw more of Emmy this season. I thought they were setting something up like a potential legitimate love interest because mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear Tsubomi's not going to be his love interest despite him having a long-standing crush on her. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. I could see something blossoming between Mob and Emmy after this interaction. And then we don't really get much of her after that. Yeah, you don't see her at all. Like 
I think they like, they this like is her one and done. Episode. They like hint at her in like an episode or two, maybe the last episode. I can't remember, but yeah, I was a little a little sad about that. Maybe she'll be back in season three. You do see Tsubomi later on, though, and so that makes me wonder whether or not she does have feelings for Mob, or I think at that like this point she's just curious about him. Moving on to episode two, Urban Legends Encountering Rumors. The symbiotically psychotic duo are next tasked to take on some urban legends around town, though Reagan is quick to show how the spooky sausage gets made in certain cases. Amidst the investigations, however, a rival psychic named Shinron looks to steal their psychotic thunder until he gets literally dragged by one of the urban legends proven true, leaving Mob to once again mop up the muck. Here's where I was like, holy shit, the production quality has improved so much for season two. Like even in just the second episode, we get this incredible fight scene between Mob and like the urban urban legend ghost. And it looks so clean, just like so smooth. Even the like the regular animation, just for any sort of like simple scene of two characters conversing, what have you, all of that looks way cleaner and more defined than we had in season one. So I just, overall, like visually, I was having a great time with this season. And even this episode had that one scene between, what was it, Shinra was his actual name. Uh, I used Shinron because it sounded like Shenron from <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, right? Dragon Ball Z? Yes. Um, his fight with Akarain, which I think was one of the other like urban legends that they were trying to uh, that they were trying to investigate, which I think he ended up being like a, a pedophile, right, in the hood. Is oh, the streaker guy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then that the scene between them just played out kind of like a, a Street Fighter game, if you remember that. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, so <laughs> just like that, they, they adapted their style for that, like that quick scene. Like they didn't have to, but I just thought it was it was funny for them to use that. I also found it funny how Mob was the one who could destroy that like last urban legend because he, simply because he's out of the loop and doesn't follow things like urban legends. Because it wasn't the whole concept around that, that the urban legend grows as more people fear it. And then Reagan can't do anything about it. I don't think Ekobo can really do anything about it because they believe in this urban legend versus Mob where he's like, I've never even heard of this before. You're talking about the the dragger, the, the lady who was yeah, the, like she was out of the ring. Lady. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good turn of tables, I guess. And then Ekubo here in episode two has his own start of his character development because when Mob asks him to protect what's his face's body, I can't remember the guy's name. The hooded guy? Uh, or, one of them. I don't know. The, <laughs> the, the rival psychic. Yeah, that Shinra. guy. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, can you please watch after him? Like, Ekubo takes that request seriously and does everything that he can to save this guy's life so he doesn't lose Mob's trust. But similar to season one, there's still that air of ambiguity when it comes to Ekubo uh, trying to figure out like if he actually cares about Mob or if he wants to just be on Mob's good side to use him down the road. So I think you get more clarity around that in season two, but it's still left up for debate. Like, really, where does Ekobo stand among all of Mob's friends? Yeah, you wonder if he's responding to Mob just because he's had that change of heart, or, again, he's just listening to Mob to, to get on his good side. Uh, 
for something he could do down the road. Yeah, I, I call him Dimple. Was it Echable? Echable. Uh, Dimple Echable still lives in that gray space in my head because, yeah, he still has those kind of, like, not what's not sinister, but just antagonistic tendencies. Uh, especially there, there's that later episode where, where Mob has to make a choice and Echable says something really out of left field. In episode three, One Danger After Another, Degeneration, Reagan boots up a thriving website for his business that attracts a cacophony of crazy clientele, but One Punch Mob is put to the test when a group of college hoodlums tasks the duo with exercising a ghostly family from a haunted site despite their peaceful nature. Realizing the immense pressure he has placed on the meager middle schooler, Reagan uses his counterfeit capabilities to settle things while Mob contemplates if his powers would cause him to go full Voldemort in the near future. Actually, this is the episode where uh, Echobo, um, he, he tries to coax that haunted family to curse the, the, the college students, right? Yeah, but I think he does so to gauge if the family is actually a threat to help Mob make a decision on how to act in that moment. That, yeah, that's true. But also, I was like, oh, damn, Echobol is just going back to her, his old ways. Yeah, because that's a good point. Because on the flip side of things, what if that did antagonize that ghost enough to set it off? He's basically putting everybody in danger. Like, he took mm-hmm. a pretty big risk there. Um, I think he felt confident that this ghost had no ill intent, was not malicious. But there's still that slight risk there. You know, I feel like there could have been other ways Echobo could have gone about that, but that's just not his personality. Yeah. So backing up a little bit, I do love the small scene at the beginning of this episode, reintroducing Ritsu and the bodybuilding club. It really didn't have a lot of impact on this episode or the overall story, but it reminds us that even though Mob is this wimpy kid and kind of a pushover, he has people who care about him and will protect him. And we even see Echobo helping him out in this moment too, possessing the one of the bullies and humiliating him while he's, you know, under his control. So I, I, again, like this was, this wasn't a completely necessary scene to the story, but it's important to reinforce those, um, those relationships and remind us of them. Yeah. It was kind of sad that at least for the first half, a lot of the characters that we've seen in the first season are kind of relegated to just cameos here. Um, Ritsu being one of them, like, I think this is the first time we see Ritsu, have a proper scene in season two for some time. Yeah, Ritsu definitely took a back seat along in this episode or uh, in the season. Along with, I want to say, Tero too. Oh my god! Yeah, for the first half of the season, I was like, "Who the <laughs> fuck is the kid with the hair?" <laughs> yeah, although <laughs> I like how they kind of keep the the running joke with his hair this season. Uh, but yeah, this scene, I think it's another scene that kind of plants the seed in Mob of what he needs to be doing with his powers again fighting the bad guys for the good of society which makes the whole scene with the haunted place see like it it presents a huge conflict right because one you have this haunted family but they're not bothering anybody but then two you have these college students who are still bothered by this haunted family Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, in the previous episode, again, Mob isn't affected by this urban legend um, because he doesn't know of it and therefore he's not really scared of it. But now we see real fear in Mob that causes him to even like tremble and have his teeth rattle. 
and I think Reagan realizes this watching or observing Mob because Mob's in this rare position where he's equally close to the dead as he is to the living. And Mob's fear is making the right decision where no one will get hurt. And again, that's a lot of responsibility for someone like him, especially at a young age like he is as a middle schooler. I can't remember how old he is, but he's he's young. And then Reagan steps in and decides to end the exorcism the only way he knows how pocket salt <laughs> he fucking throws the pocket salt it's like uh what's the king of the hill character who has the pocket sand oh god um fuck what, what's his name i i've only caught a couple episodes of king of the hill so i don't i don't know the character's names besides hank and and bobby dale it's dale. fucking dale oh yeah <laughs> and yeah like this episode i thought it was kind of foreshadowing because i think at the end mops pondering uh, when he's taking his his bath at night, if if he were to start using his powers for evil intention, or if he is not kept in check, if there will be anyone to stop him, and I was thinking, oh, this is probably going to be the climax where Mob kind of goes the Psycho 100, or even beyond that, that the questionable percentage, and we all know that Mob is probably the most powerful psychic being in the show. Like, what's going to happen if he? goes past the point of no return. That's a legitimate fear and concern. And I actually love that about Mob Psycho compared to a lot of other anime where they straight up tell you Mob is honestly one of the strongest, if not the strongest. He just needs to hone his powers. Like they they make that clear right off the bat. So you know what you're dealing with. And I think, again, to this point, he knows it as well. And he just thinks to himself, if I can't control myself, there's nobody else who can stop me. How much of a threat am I to other people? And again, like I just I love that so much because he's not bragging about his powers. He's not even excited about the fact that he's potentially the strongest psychic out there. He's actually scared of that. And I just think to like, I don't know, DBZ or something, right? Where the whole the whole thing is about, you know, dick slinging around dick. and yeah. yeah, who's got the most powerful dick in the universe. Here he's like, no, I don't know what to do. I don't know like if anyone can can stop me, even the villain of this season couldn't stop him. Yeah, which kind of makes certain things with the the ending like not sit too well with me. But we'll we'll get to that. Here we have an anta- or an antagonist, a protagonist who has too much power, versus like mm-hmm. most an- protagonists who don't have enough power and are trying to figure out like their hurdles are how can I become stronger to overcome the threat. Here he's like. I'm too strong where I could become the threat. Yeah. Which is, I get like one punch Mab. One punch, one punch Mab. Mab. One, <laughs> one punch man and Mob. I know they're written by the same mangaka, but just how they kind of deal with their powerful dilemmas in different ways. In episode four, Inside Evil Spirit, the symbiotically psychotic duo, along with a cacophony of costumed clairvoyants, are invited to the house of some rich dude who seeks to save his daughter Minori from possession by an evil spirit, who turns out to be that of a famous cynical psychic named Mogami Mo Problems. When One Punch Mob steps in to ward off the spirit, psychotic chaos ensues, forcing our plain-faced protagonist to enter an out-of-body experience to face the ferocious phantom. Mogami Mo Problems manipulates Mob by crafting an alternate reality where the middle schooler is pathetic and powerless to prove a point about the pursuit of power being profitable to their parallel personas. I think here right out the gate, uh, Mob sees what happens when 
someone is just consumed by their psychic powers. Yeah, with, Mogami, with Mogami is is essentially the embodiment of everything Mob fears becoming himself. Mm-hmm. But the start of this episode is interesting because you have a collection of psychics here to try and save this girl who's supposedly possessed. And the only one who's really competent enough to to confirm something's going on is Reagan, the only non-psychic in the room. And I like to think that Reagan was able to pick up on the girl's manu- manu- mannerisms um, <laughs> and her wording as being like suspicious and a sign that something's going on because he's a con artist who needs to be wary of those things himself. Oh, right. <laughs> like he's got like <laughs> professional level experience when it comes to very intentional mannerisms and wording. <laughs> so I think that's why he could, he could pick up those signs when nobody else could. Because I think a lot of people kept saying, or a lot of the psychics kept saying, she's fine, she's not possessed. Or they were believing what the spirit was saying as this girl and starting to point fingers at her dad. Mm-hmm. And I just like how you have all these psychics that are in cosplay, sort of cosplay outfits to <laughs> differentiate all the the unique characters out there that have this ESP ability. This reminds me of like if, if they're all like hunters from Hunter Hunter. Yeah, I got that vibe too. <laughs> but then shit like hits the fan um, the window blows up and everyone's getting their asses beat by Mogami as this little girl. And then Mob trusts Ekubo, even though Reagan doesn't, with taking over his body and protecting him while he goes into the girl's mind. So again, like Mob just innately trusts Ekubo, despite Ekubo kind of always hinting that he's got something up his sleeve. But I don't know, like Mob seems to be a decent judge of character. He may not be able to tell every aspect of a person, right? Like, I think for a while he believed that Reagan had psychic powers, but he was never wrong about Reagan being a good person, which we'll get to in, in a later episode. Yeah. I I just think that Echoball is just so, like, he just respects Mob too much at this point that he doesn't want to disappoint him um, un- until, if he ever does, like, eventually take advantage of of their friendship there's also that ongoing fear that if Ekobo pisses off Mob, Mob can just eviscerate him in two yeah. seconds. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> so that's something. Yeah, hopefully, we're wrong about Ekobo. It's just that he's he's an asshole sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, then then Mob goes into Mogami's inner mind, and there's like this big back and forth between them. And Mogami essentially says that powers come from emotions, and the more negative emotions, the stronger the psychic. And we all see that Mob is generally an emotionless kid, but he's a walking example of someone who bottles up their emotions and then explodes when he hits 100%. Mm-hmm. And the like, Mogami sees how much rage Mob has inside, but Mob, I don't think, fully realizes it at this moment. I think he's starting to because of what happened when him and Ritsu were kids. But I don't think it really clicked with Mob until he had this discussion with Mogami. And I think in kind of the last episode, too, where, as we talked about, he's wondering, like, if he goes berserk, who's going to stop him? Yeah, what, ha- what happened with Mob and Ritsu when they were kids? I think the flashback um, that we got in the first season was um, there were some bullies or some shit, and they hurt Ritsu, uh... and that caused Mob to blow up. But Ritsu had passed out, so he didn't actually see what it looked like. He just woke up to the aftermath, like these just like everything destroyed okay and so that's why ritsu keeps his brother calm because he's scared of like what happens if he goes off again which is a legitimate fear i understand Mm -hmm. but then you have this whole alternate 
reality thing where Mogami's pushing mob to the limit, showing like how, what his life would be like if he were powerless and we're still in that social state that he is now just getting mercilessly bullied by everybody. And to Mob's credit, he doesn't break. He mm-hmm. like almost does at the end, right? Like he's kind of thinking about breaking so he can beat the shit out of those kids. But then Ekubo comes in at the 11th hour at just the right time to remind him like, don't, don't fucking do that. And speaking of that scene in episode five, Discord Choices. It's a nice plug for Discord there. <laughs> <laughs> Mogami Mo Problems talks one punch mob's ear off about his sappy villain origin story involving hitman contracts and a sickly mother while our meager middle schooler subjects himself to depression the movie. But Dimple, of all saviors, steps in to snap him out of it before Mob can send one of his bullies to the pseudo-shadow realm. We are then treated to a spectacular skirmish between the psychics, wherein Mob reaches a questionable percentage level to destroy the mental isekai and return to reality Oh, there goes gravity. Exgar Matsuo shows up to encase Mogami in a cute little flask, while rich daughter Minori recovers from her spell and seeks forgiveness from Mob Almighty, and our simple-minded psychic absolves her of her sins. So I think this episode starts off with Ekubo and Reagan kind of talking about whether or not Ekubo should take over, no, not take over his body, but go into Mogami's inner mind as well to save Mob. Mm-hmm. And um, Ekubo, as ambiguous as he is, says that Mob probably lost um, and kind of, I think, almost wants to throw in the towel but reagan responds by saying mob is capable and can find a way out on his own i think he even says something along the lines of like he has strength unlike me so it's it's like interesting to see reagan saying these things because i don't think his character development for the season really comes until an episode or two from now where like he's got his Mm -hmm. his episode that focuses on him and really kind of puts reality in the forefront for him but it is nice to see him acknowledging Mob and, and the potential that Mob has. But then a little bit later in that episode, Ekobo is trying to escape with everybody and leave Mob behind. And Reagan says he won't abandon Mob because he needs him for his business. Like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's not a, the most wholesome reason. <laughs> yeah, there's why he he wants Mob around. So, yeah. <laughs> at least for, at, or at this point. Uh, I, I like how the, the episode shows the difference between the real world and the alternate world by using that sort of film ratio, the cinematic widescreen ratio. Uh, I think it reminded me of something that was also used in 86, which we reviewed a couple months ago. Um, and again, we're just treated to seeing mob being treated like the lowest scum of the earth. And it's terrible because we know that our, our our boy deserves better than that. He's a good kid. So good. And I found it really funny when Ekobo arrives and helps Mob. He reminds him of like all of his friends that he's got and says, how can you lose to these commoners when you've been building muscle with the bodybuilding club? And then Mob gets all like happy about it and makes himself... <laughs> built like a brick shit house out of nowhere and then (laughs) Ekbo's like yeah I don't know if that's entirely accurate but you are getting better (laughs) yeah the the whole thing is kind of like to kind of tie this in with like a biblical reference it's it's like mob is Jesus being tempted by the devil with like how far uh, Mogami's trying to push him to use his powers the exact way that he has in in sinister ways and then it's Ekbo who snaps him out of it and you also just start to see color flow back into that alternate world as 
as equable reminds mob like you said of all the great things that have come out of his life and then you have like this the, the, I think alongside Mob coming to senses, you have like 80s workout music that, that plays in the background. Or it sounds like 80s workout music, which makes the, the scene even funnier. The highlight of this episode and this whole arc is that climactic fight scene at the end, which is fucking gorgeous. I haven't seen a fight scene this cool in quite a while. Like very, very high production quality and so well executed with the music, like that, that amazing soundtrack playing throughout. It just made it so hype and I loved every moment of it. And to make like to the cherry on top is that this fight wasn't only this epic big battle against uh, you know the current villain it also served a larger purpose because this is the fight that makes mob realize that his powers aren't useless because he can use them to save other people and vows to do exactly that and then saves the girl like this is a huge step forward for mob's character development yeah to kind of echo what you were saying about the the action sequence in this episode it I almost felt like watching something out of Doctor Strange, even though we haven't seen the the most recent Doctor Strange movie. Um, but from the first movie that I saw, like just like again, the, the psychedelic aspect of what's the going world on. bending that yeah. was going on. Uh, and then I think here it felt like we see Mob actually look like a a shonen hero. Yeah, uh, when Echo looks at him, he's like, "What the fuck?" Right, because he doesn't have his bowl cut anymore it's like his hair's flying his eyes wind. change everything yeah his his voice changes as well so it's a new aspect of mob uh but yeah i want to say this is another step in mob's development this season because yeah he he uses his powers to to stop mogami and then mogami's captured within that flax by that x scar uh and then he once he comes back into the real world you see minori who I want to say she was probably like a bully in real life or w was witnessing what was happening with her character in this alternate world. And she starts apologizing to Mob for how, for the way that she acted. And then Mob acknowledges that people can change, kind of like how he has changed, right? From being this, this sort of closeted individual to one that's starting to break out of his shell and, again, become more understanding of his powers. And that's something important that I picked up from the season is his statement about people having the ability to change their circumstances, which is not what Mogami had done with his powers, right? It was just him kind of devolving into his thirst for, for psychic power, but Mob here understanding that you don't need to fit within that mold. You can exist outside of it and serve the greater good. So the next two episodes are one of the more significant episodes of this season. So we're going to group this discussion together. But to start off with episode six, Poor Lonely Whitey. It only took 18 episodes, but One Punch Mob finally realizes that Reagan is just using him as a tool in his counterfeit career choice and decides to enjoy his time as a prepubescent youth while our scummy scammer wallows in isolation. Eventually, however, he moves on without Mob and builds up his supernatural consulting empire to become Seasoning City's psychic sensation, landing him a spot on a TV show to promote his prowess. Though in reality, it is a ruse set up by psychic adversary Jodo in return for getting kneed by Reagan in the face during the scuffle with Mogami Mo problems. I'd say that's a pretty reasonable grudge, don't you? 
And in episode seven, cornered true identity. As expected, Reagan is outed as a fraud and cancel culture comes crashing down on him like concrete jungle wet dream tomato. Though One Punch Mob is unconcerned since he believes it's part of his former master's quest for fame. Reagan decides to hold a press conference to save face, which turns into a tirade against the mainstream media until he has a Jerry Maguire moment and realizes that Mob completes him. Addressing the meager middle schooler directly into the camera, the conference room turns into a poltergeist playground as the mainstream media, citing credible sources as always, pits Reagan as the perpetrator. Reagan subsequently meets up with Dimple and his young ward, though when asked if he now knows the scummy scammer's true identity, Mob responds with an equally valid answer, a good person. The Reagan arc. These were two really, really good episodes. Honestly, I think episode seven might be one of my favorites from this season. And I feel like Reagan has been taking advantage of Mob pretty much since the beginning of season one and underpaying him and absorbing all of his free time. So it was kind of a matter of time before uh, Reagan took things too far. Like this was bound to happen. And then Mob starts to realize that not everything Reagan says is true. Yeah, it makes you question who needs who more at this point in the relationship and yeah it's it starts to become more clear that reagan is using mob more as a crutch here to continue his his business and not taking into account like mob is is a young boy he wants to live his life hang out with his friends have fun eat apps all of that fun stuff I, I think in a previous episode, I don't know if it was the season or season one, Mob says, I'm going to start changing and I'm going to start doing the things that I want to do. And this is proof of that. Again, he is developing. He is progressing. He says he's going to do something and he starts doing it. Here he wants to spend time with his friends. And that's exactly what he tells Reagan. But then that I was not expecting like their separation to basically divulge into something that was a very emotional arc for Reagan because then Reagan loses everything and gets pressured to do this press conference and well even before that I think for the first time we're really seeing in the show Reagan can't overcome a situation he gets outed on national television and he's not able to talk his way out of it he's not able to use his dumb luck to find a way out of it he actually has to bear the consequences of his lies and that kind of just makes him like have a you know like at the end of your life they say that your, your life flashes before your eyes and then he goes back to the moment where he decided to become a psychic and it was partly and it was partly due to mob believing him to be like a psychic and to have that sort of camaraderie with someone and that's what kind of inspired reagan to carry on that facade uh i think reagan says i wanted to become someone special yet this is the result i haven't changed since then i kept using him being mob in the end i couldn't become anything so here too is a, another example of people like mob believing in people changing for the good and i think reagan is starting to come to that realization you know having originally been inspired by mob now actually carrying that with him to be the person that mob 
knew that he would be. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's clear that Reagan felt unfulfilled for so many years until Mob literally walked into his life, and then he was able to become someone for Mob. And then, like like you said, Mob confirms that he knows Reagan is a genuinely good guy. And I believe this the flashback they showed us of Mob meeting Reagan for the first time is the exact same flashback we got in the first season. Mm -hmm. But I want to say, and I could be wrong, I meant to double check or compare them before we recorded, but I want to say we got a little more context this time around. We had more of Reagan's inner thoughts and the moments leading up to mob entering the um, his office so it added a little bit more to this flashback that we've already seen where we realized reagan was like about to write off this kid but something told him to give this kid a chance and mobs i guess impression of reagan in that first meeting i think made reagan realize i can be someone for this kid mm -hmm. so just a very these two episodes are probably my favorite out of the entire show just because again it really highlights the relationship between the the, the duo and i know i i pose the question who needs who more but i want to say that they kind of need each other equally yeah absolutely point. and and similar to echo reagan is still somewhat ambiguous he's still a little bit of a gray area in like you know in him being a, a good person i think mob saying it really kind of solidifies it. Um, and I think this is the moment where Reagan changes for the better. But he still has, you know, some questionable things that he does moving forward. And at the end of the day, though, it, it's clear to your point that Mob and Reagan need each other, support each other. Reagan is that guiding voice for Mob and has repeatedly given Mob helpful advice throughout the show. And then Mob is, again, someone that gives Reagan purpose, someone he can mentor and he can help in his, in his very unique way of doing that. Yeah, I think Reagan's not just in it for the money or the glory anymore like we'll see with this final arc coming up like he he is i want to say like he is now fighting for the greater good just like mob is in episode eight even then continue forward one punch mob pushes his body to the absolute limit at the middle school marathon to impress subomi homie making me wonder what is worse between his physical strain or his psychical strain his childhood crush coincidentally visits Reagan for relationship advice because he sure is qualified for it. Once Mob comes to after a hard run or hardly run marathon, he finds his home and family members burned to a crisp, causing him to go beyond a questionable plus ultra. What a very unexpected episode. I honestly thought this was just filler, like the slice of life filler that we were talking about earlier until it takes a really dark turn at the end of the episode yeah honestly it was a very innocent episode like just innocent through and through the entire way like mob was just determined to land in the top 10 uh, in the marathon so that he could ask subomi out and sure like he doesn't succeed but we all figured he wouldn't even the characters in the show knew that he wouldn't but he refuses um the suggestion to use his powers to win like he genuinely wants to do this his own way and, and to beat his goal through his own merit i'm like wow this is so great this is so fluffy and then he like even to smaller things like when i can't remember the girl with like the camera who's part of the newspaper club or oh, whatever Mazzato. yeah that chick like when she tells him he has fans he gets so excited for a second and then as soon as she said religious group his expression did a 180 just like all these fun little moments throughout this episode and i think here we also see 
that continued support from the people that surround Mob, where you even have like Ritsu and his parents cheering Mob on. Um, his parents are awesome, by the way. They know Mob is not physically fit, but they're still so proud of him for building his stamina. We need and more parents himself. like that. Yeah, like <laughs> great role models for parents in anime. And then Reagan even shows up and, and kind of ran with him part of the way after they were training together. Just like all this warm, fluffy shit. And then his home gets attacked by the redhead kid, and then he burns his family. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, what a way to introduce us to the final arc of this season, which is, again, another uh, mob versus claw arc. I kind of had that sinking feeling that when Ritsu went to the front door to answer, thinking like Mob was home, that it wasn't actually Mob. Just the way they presented it, you kind of knew something was about to happen. But I figured it was going to be Reagan or maybe someone from like that religious group that is trying to find Mob. Like something a little more lighthearted, maybe a funny moment. But no, like it's it's the antagonist as of that moment anyway. And he lights the house on fire. And I... I I was definitely convinced in this moment. Like, I didn't expect them to straight up show Mob's family burned. I thought that they would kind of keep it unclear and then in the next episode reveal what's going on. But no, they straight up showed bodies. I mean, granted, we learn in the next episode it's not his actual family. But in that moment, I was convinced. Yeah, it just sucked the air out of the room when we saw that moment happen. I guess just like a real fire sucks air out of her. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and then like finding out, I was like, oh no, it was just all a ruse. Like I, I don't know, that that kind of, kind of made me say, oh, like that's how you, how you resolve. Like I thought this would have been like a great, not like I know it's a terrible event, but like something to really kick Mob into full gear, which we do see in the the next episode. But then they kind of just save face by saying, oh, no, his family's all right. I'm kind of on the fence about that. I agree. I think it would have been a huge turning point for this show to introduce something as extreme as Mob's parents being killed. I think, But I think at the same time, the way this show has kind of presented itself, it, it would almost feel too left field. Like, that's an extreme to literally mm. burn his parents alive, like legitimately do it. I think it, it's, it's going to be too divisive of a decision to make for this story again i think it could take the story in a really fucking crazy direction and like turn mob you know to that dark side <laughs> i guess that's a star wars reference to a certain degree mm -hmm. um where that just kind of pushes him over the edge um but again is that in line with the feeling of mob psycho 100 i would say not entirely but we did have a great moment for ekobo where he immediately tells mob to close his eyes after kind of helping him investigate what happened, like Echobo was a bro in this moment, like through and through. Like he he was trying to keep Mob as calm as is possible in that situation. Yeah, again, Echobo does redeemable things. Just hope that he is a redeemable character <laughs> in the end. We'll see. But in episode nine, show me what you got, band together. Show me what you got. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> Dimple does his damnedest to de-stress a deranged mob who is hell-bent on using his particular set of skills acquired over a very long career to find his family's killers. He is joined by cameo appearances of last season's ex-scars and espers who uncover a plot by Big Meaty Claw to destroy Zawardo and anyone who stands in their way. We also learn that Mob's brother Ritsu Carlton and his parents are safe and sound unbeknownst to our meager middle schooler. 
though the former joins Ginger-Haired Gon in a plot against his father, leader of Big Meaty Claw. However, Teru and Resonance's failed attack against one of Claw's big teleporting baddies, Shimazaki, close, shows clearly that this isn't going to be a walk in the paranormal park. Well, like I said, I got gotten. Ritsu and his parents are fine, and Sho is not the um, the antagonist, the villain after all. He's teaming up with Ritsu. Um, yeah, so that, that was all kind of like a big, a big nothing in the end. Um, but we do see Reagan. I guess being a pivotal person for Mob in this moment because Reagan is the only one who's able to get Mob to fully calm down. And it's interesting because Reagan said nothing different to Mob than what Ekubo told him. But because Mob trusts Reagan and has a close relationship with him and he somewhat distrusts Ekubo at times, it's Reagan's words that are the ones that get him over his explosion and back down to like two, three percent or something like that. So I found that interesting. There's also the reintroduction of Claw, and for some reason there's infighting, but it doesn't matter because they have a structure similar to the fucking um, Kizuki from Demon Slayer, where mm-hmm. there's like an upper echelon of the group that are OP as fuck, and then there's this new blind guy who has a bunch of powers, and this is where things start to fall apart a little bit for me in season two. Now who the hell cares? <laughs> I I know they told us about Claw in the first season, but they didn't tell us a lot about Claw. It was more about the scars, that immediate group. Mm-hmm. It, they, they didn't give us a lot of information about Claw, yet now they're throwing Claw into the mix as the, the, key, and the, the key villain group or antagonist or what have you. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm not bring, being brought along here. I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like it's moving too fast. It's not clearly defined. And that will continue over the next couple of episodes. But on the plus side, Teru's back. And his Mm -hmm. hair's, I think, growing back too. (laughs) And he's calm and capable as ever, which is good when the rest of this group is totally useless. Yeah, this is where I get the claw arc of this season was just felt a little too derivative of what happened in the previous season. It's, It's just like, this just felt like, oh, we need a villain for season two. And so they just continued with Claw. And I think they're called the Ultimate Five, who just come out of nowhere. And I wrote in my notes, like, why the fuck are there just so many characters now? But the only ones I really remember from this arc is the, the leader, uh, Shimazaki, the teleporting psychic, and Serizawa, who we learn about in a later episode. But they were basically, like, one and done. I, I think their only purpose here is just showing how powerful mob is and his his group of friends and espers against these characters like if, if they were fleshed out in a, a 26 episode season then we probably feel more invested in them but here again it's just one and done in episode 10 collision power type big meaty claw leader suzuki six his psychic scumbags to seek out one punch mob and one of them who looks like Sugar Rush's uncle gives Reagan, Dimple, and the Body Improvement Club a pretty hard time, though the leader of the latter remains steadfast in his defense of our plain-faced protagonist. Speaking of which, Mob awakens from his beauty sleep to single-handedly defeat the doped-up dunce, while Ritsu Carlton and Gingerhead Gon make it to the tower where the latter's father waits patiently to duke it out with his big meaty claws. I thought this episode was a lot of fun. I just I think seeing Mob being thrown around like a fucking ragdoll and everyone just trying to protect him um, and seeing other characters step up to the plate when Mob's down for the count, I, I enjoyed that a lot. 
And I think this also kind of gave us more like morally ambiguous moments for Reagan and Ekobo. So you have Reagan who, when, when the group asks him, how do we deal with this threat? Reagan says it's not their problem to deal with Claw. And I'm like, to a point, he's, he's, he's right. Um, and then it's not until his insurance company won't pay him out because the fire was caused by one of those psychics that he suddenly changes his mind <laughs> and rallied the troops, which kind of leads the group to taking action but it's taking action for the wrong reason. However, in, internally, Reagan does confirm that his real reason for not wanting to do anything in the beginning is because he realizes how dangerous the situation would be for mob. So it's like this back and forth. Sometimes it's like emotional whiplash with Reagan because he does something that looks great, but then he says something that leads you to believe his his reasoning is not morally correct so then you're like do i get behind the decision or do i not but at the end of the day i'm always kind of rooting for him i thought he was waiting for mob to wake up from his sleep knowing that he's the group's trump card so he was but then he saw the destruction on tv and he's like i don't want to put reagan reagan i want to put mob in that situation it's too dangerous for oh, him okay. and i was like damn okay reagan but then his insurance company called and he's like fuck <laughs> it we're gonna go take these guys down so i guess reagan still is a little bit sleazy but he is fighting for the greater good by by standing up against claw so again yeah it's that moral ambiguity I and guess. people can't change overnight right like it's it's small steps even with mob like he still has some of his core tendencies that we were introduced to in season one he's getting better he's he's breaking out of his shell but sometimes he still is a little reserved but then on the flip side like ekubo also continues to be morally ambiguous because it seems like he cares about mob he's trying to protect his body and then he sees subomi right and you think like oh I have to protect Subomi or Mob will get mad at me. And I'm thinking like, oh, that's so nice of him. Like he knows how much Mob cares about Subomi. He wants to protect his friend. But then he says, if I don't protect her, he'll erase me. And I'm like, well, then it's just in your self-interest <laughs> that mm -hmm. you're protecting her in this moment. So again, every once in a while, Ekobo has a similar kind of whiplash to, to Reagan where you're like, oh, he's doing something great. But then he says something that leads us to believe he's sinister or that he's really self-serving. I think my favorite thing about this episode is a majority of it is uh, Ekobo and the Body Improvement Club fighting one of the, I guess they're part of the Ultimate Five, the, the Sugar Rush looking guy. Uh, his name is Shibata, I think. And, you know, like Ekobo or the Body Improvement Club, I think they see Mob's body tossed into their alley or whatever. Um, and then they, they fight the Sugar Rush guy. And the leader of the club has this like death speech right because he's trying to prevent mob's body from being crushed by this this claw member uh, and then equable steps in to possess the, the the leader of the body improvement club and then mob finally comes to and it's just like one punch man where he takes out this this uh, member of claw with no effort while everyone else was trying to defend him it's, yeah it's just so funny like you introduce this op character while everyone else is struggling struggling against this antagonist and then everything's all fine now but it shows how much mob has been an influence on these side characters in in his development in episode 11 guidance psychic sensor one punch mob picks up his slack in the battle against big meaty claw but the turns are tabled when mogami mo problems is accidentally released and holds one of claw's big baddies hostage Mob manages to convince Mogami to spare the enemy Esper's life, 
Though not before Mogami leaves some parting words for our meager middle schooler to be a man, we must be swift as the coursing river. Elsewhere, Shimazaki intercepts Ritsu Carlton to allow Ginger-Haired Gon to face Big Daddy Claw alone, until Reagan, Teru in residence, and their clairvoyant cohort shuts that shit down before Shimazaki can teleport the fuck out of there. So after they introduce Claw, I'm still kind of unclear as to what Suzuki is that the main baddie's name? That's yeah, Toichiro Suzuki. So what Suzuki and Claw's like overall goal is like yeah, I get they're they're wanting to take over the world, but I'm struggling to get behind this villain group because there's no explanation as to why they want to do that and like for what purpose and all of that stuff. And then here in episode 11, we now start to get motivation for Show, who I was also kind of confused by, but I'm still a little unconvinced that like he um that he just isn't a bad guy right and that ritsu so quickly sided with him like there just wasn't any explanation there they were like they're just teaming up now and you just have to kind of accept it so i feel like between claw and suzuki and show like they haven't taken the time to show us anything or help us understand why these things are happening it's definitely a a, a telling us kind of situation where these are the antagonists this is the situation you just have to accept it like i just I couldn't get behind any of it. Yeah, I felt like Sho's story was just a little underdeveloped. We we do see that cliffhanger in season one where he talks to his dad, and it makes you think if he's he's an, a hidden antagonist, which I thought back in our season one review, but uh, that's all just clear now, like you said. like We're just supposed to accept it and move on, and that's why Ritsu just teamed up with him. Um, knowing that show is actually on their side. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about episode 12. So I guess on, on some of the brighter sides of episode 11, uh, I've, I think this solidifies how far Mob has grown because he's so mature now. Like he even lectures these other psychics in a similar way to when he lectured and faced off against Teru in season one. He says that their powers don't make them special because the only reason they've survived this long is thanks to the help of others. I know he kind of asked those questions like, can you guys manufacture these cans or can you grow these vegetables or can you fix these glass doors? Like you're lying on the help of others, but those are, are also the people that you're hurting. And the difference here is how confident and stern Mob is. Like when he faced Teru, he let Teru beat him up and was still so timid as he was trying to convince Teru to stop. This time around, he's not letting these guys hurt him or others with their powers. Like he is pissed off and he is stern and confident, and it was a really, really cool moment for him. Yeah, I wrote in my note for this, um, is that Mob, with his powers being used responsibly, he keeps in check those who fail to keep themselves in check, especially, again, when he's facing against Mogami, but then when Mogami takes that one Claw member, or Ultimate Five member hostage, um, he implores Mogami not to harm him, even though that's that's his enemy, because that's going back to Mob believing that people can change for the good. And I think he says he has the faith in humans to change and live positively. We actually get hints of that too in season one with the X scars, but now it's transferring over to the Ultimate Five, which again makes this feel like it's a derivative of what we saw already in season one. But um, yeah, Mogami acquiesces, but tells Mob that he needs to be assertive to really make a difference out there or to to really have some sort of significance i found that so cool the way mob interpreted that 
strange or questionable advice from Ogami and, and found a way to apply it to himself that wouldn't also change who he is. Like like you said, Mogami says you can't always be kind to other people. Sometimes you have to be hard on them. But Mob uses that advice to tell everyone to stay behind, saying, this might be hard for you guys to hear, but you'll just be in my way. And everyone, including Ritsu, is like, holy shit, okay, Mob, <laughs> like, damn, this is a new side of you that we've never seen before. This level of confidence, the resolve, the maturity. And I think Mob in the beginning would never take the lead or know what to do with his powers, and now he knows without a doubt. Um, I think a little bit before that is the fight with the like mob's team of psychics against the dude who teleports. Shimazaki. Yeah, that that shit was wild. That choreography and animation when that team was going up against one guy was so cool. The way it transitioned between each person attacking him was just like fucking fluid. And it was jumping around without making it feel like it was jumping around in a way that kind of like, I don't know, made you nauseous or just like kind of like rattled it was just so well done it was a cool kind of tag team against this enemy and you have a kind of contrast here with the last episode you had people struggling against uh the sugar rush guy and then mob steps in with his op like op as fuck abilities and then here you know shimazaki is shown as a, a very formidable opponent but then reagan just strolls in casually and just Wax him in the face. Oh my god, it was so and, good. <laughs> that, that just stops Shimazaki in his tracks, and he's like, "Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do anything bad anymore." It's like Reagan's not an OP character, but it's just another unexpected way to end a battle against an opponent. Reagan reminds me of Joseph Joestar in the fact that one of his core abilities is dumb luck. Like that's honestly mm -hmm. what that is because the Shimazaki was not able to identify Reagan in that moment because he had pushed everything out of his mind that was not a psychic. And because Reagan's not a psychic, he never <laughs> realized he was approaching him until Reagan gut punched the shit out of him. And I'll never get tired of these ridiculous situations that Reagan's able to overcome by sheer luck. I think it's one of the best parts about this entire show. And it helps keep up that facade, at least with like Teru and some of the espers, that he is still a very very powerful psychic user <laughs> and then we have that post credit scene um where ekubo reflects on how quickly mob is growing up and that he said he was planning on using him while he's still a kid and i'm like again there you go ekubo doing some questionable shit or saying some questionable shit so he, he just continues to be that gray area in episode 12 the battle for social rehabilitation friendship Turns out Ginger-Haired Gon is no match for Big Daddy Claw, who has become more powerful than you could possibly imagine thanks to stealing everyone's psychic Wi-Fi connections. Meanwhile, One Punch Mob confronts Big Daddy Claw's right-hand umbrella, Serizawa, a former Shutton who sees the light after a heart-to-heart -heart with the meager middle schooler. That persuasion strategy unfortunately does not work on Big Daddy Claw, but when the biggest baddie nearly obliterates Reagan, who is saved at the last minute by Umbrella Boy, Mob enters the emotional Hulk mode, determined to crack the claw's carapace. Mob's power that he first used when he shared his abilities with Reagan in season one, I think that all kind of comes to a head here when the villain realizes that Mob has the same powers as Star Platinum and is potentially mm. the only psychic who can match him and maybe defeat him. Um, I... I just thought that was kind of interesting because, yeah, they teased that in season one, but they didn't really dive into it. And that got, that got me thinking. I'm like, holy shit, wait, he passed his 
his powers off temporarily to another person, the, the potential behind that is huge, as we now see with Suzuki and what he's able to accomplish because of that power. But then he takes it back for himself in order to face Mob, since they are sort of one and the same, right? Yeah. And then Reagan has that moment where he, he says to himself, I, I should have known better than to let Mob go alone. But um, all the supernatural stuff that was going on clouded his thinking. And I guess uh, besides dumb luck, Reagan's other power is his ability to think quickly and cleverly. And Reagan comes to Mob's rescue with nothing but a pistol, knowing full well he has no chance against this villain. And he says that he has the power to see the unseen powers. I think he means like the potential in others. And I'm like, damn, that's really nice. I like that about Reagan because he really does. I think that's why he didn't shoo Mob away when he first came to his office and why he hires, what the fuck is his name, Serizawa mm-hmm. um, at the end of the season. I think I think, I think, think Reagan's right about that. I think he does have this ability to see more in people than, than what first meets the eye. And, of course, that's different from the leader of Claw, Suzuki, who... Because he, as we said, like he is able to pass his powers on to uh, the members of Claw um, to to defend him, but then he takes it back in order to face Mob later on. Like him, it's him just using his own powers for his own benefit and just seeing others more so as as tools. And you know, like Reagan, he is able to connect with Mob and have a relationship with him, whereas Suzuki sees no benefit in connecting with others he's just consumed in his his quest for power and, and being this powerful ultimate psychic being and you start to see that unravel as as more of the members of claw and the ultimate five especially serizawa they turn away from their former master because they just see that again that he's just using them and this is exactly what happens when you don't connect with others which is opposite of what Mob's trying to do and why everyone is starting to join Mob's side because he realizes people can change, again, for for good. And in the final episode for Season 2, Episode 13, Boss Fight, The Final Light, the battle between One Punch Mob and Big Daddy Claw becomes a dick-slinging match as each tries to gain the anime upper hand over the other with their immense psychic powers, to the point that Big Daddy Claw turns into a literal bomb to decimate Seasoning City. Realizing that with great power comes great responsibility, according to some dead uncle, Mob makes amends with his opponent and absorbs the blast to keep the city safe, and bequeath it with the world's largest broccoli head. Big Daddy Claw turns himself in after being moved by Mob's gesture, while his right-hand umbrella boy transfers jobs to Reagan's legit operation as Mob moves up the career ladder to senior psycho 100 okay so it was a good ending to the season but the pacing was weird it seemed like they were in the middle of this climactic battle and then suddenly the villain was exploding because he pushed himself too hard and had like too much energy and then mob helps the villain i I can never remember his name suzuki right that's why i keep calling him the villain mob helps suzuki by absorbing his powers which is very much something that mob would do but then it seemed like it took little convincing to change Suzuki's deep-rooted, long-standing beliefs. Beliefs he's had since he was in middle school, when we kind of go through his flashbacks. 
So I'm like, where did this come from? It was just so quick. Like we had this really nice pacing in the previous episode, Mob going up against Suzuki, and then it kind of continues good pacing in this episode. And then suddenly it's like, shit, he's going to blow up. End of the fight. Did you get that feeling or was that just me? Uh, Yeah, it was a... It was kind of like a, a cop-out, I guess, for Suzuki to say, you know what, this guy is too OP. I'm just going to turn into a literal explosion and and try to end this fight. But maybe it's because he saw how far, like even though Suzuki was willing to go that far to gain victory, he saw how far Mob was willing to, to go by kind of sacrificing himself to contain his explosion. And again, that's, that's sort of the the nirvana of the of mob's like journey in this season is that he is using his powers responsibly and with this he's also trying to help the leader of claw change at the very last minute i yes that that definitely makes sense i i can see where you're kind of coming from i think it's just the the pacing of it all happened so fast like, oh, yeah. I just felt like there was this really cool fight going on, and then suddenly, like, Suzuki just crawls into the space that Mob is hiding out in or fell into or whatever, and he's, like, about to blow up. And I'm like, wait, when did he start blowing up? Like, when when did this all start unraveling? And then, again, like, Mob puts up that barrier and is willing to absorb part of the explosion power, but Suzuki doesn't really resist. I mean, maybe he knows he's about to die, even though he doesn't really die. Mm-hmm. So it's like he doesn't really resist when he hasn't changed his mentality since he was in middle school. You're telling me in just this like 10 second exchange between him and Mob where Mob's like, I'll help you out. You There's some people you want to see, right? And reminds him of his wife. Suddenly it's like 180. The guy's like, shit, I've been in the wrong for the majority of my life and I want to get better. Like it just, it was too unbelievable for me yeah i guess i guess i'm just seeing it as like, like the leader like uh suzuki seeing how big of a sacrifice mob is making to stop him that makes him see the. i'm not saying like oh that's that's the be all end all for suzuki to to change his ways but like it's a start like i get it i understand like that's that was mob's whole goal like for for mob victory is not defeating this villain it's helping this villain change because like you mm-hmm. said before mob thinks or believes that everybody can change so yes i i think that's a fine resolution i just think we got there too fast and then similarly immediately after the fight suddenly everyone's okay including the scars like the scars scars are completely gone and i don't think they really explain that and like how this giant broccoli showed up. Like I know that it was the seeds in his pocket, but like what are they trying to say here? That the energy that Suzuki had was actually a good energy and was a healing energy. And so when he exploded, people were healed. Like there was just no explanation as mm-hmm. to how we got from destructive villain about to blow everybody up to literally everyone is completely fine, so healed to the point where scars have now disappeared from their faces. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if there was a a reset to the universe because of Mob's sacrifice. And yeah, it's just weird that Mob was able to, to survive that. Um, and then he wakes up under the rubble as he's being saved by Ritsu, Teru, Reagan, and Akubo. 
like like I said before, I, I thought it was a good ending. I liked the resolution for this season. I just it all happened so fast in episode thirteen, and I kind of dislike that this was a big villain that um, was built up over two seasons, and he just kind of felt quickly disposed of. And it also kind of leads me to wonder. So what next? What are we What are we looking toward in season three? Because mm-hmm. I, I I heard that season three is supposed to be the end of the show. I could be wrong, but if that's the case, it's like what is the last like hurdle for Mob? What is the last antagonist? Is it himself? Is he the last antagonist because he's scared if he blows up, he can't control his powers? Like, is he gonna have this internal struggle? I don't know. Is it Mogami? Mogami's still out there. Like, it could be Mogami. It's just, it's a very weird place to be in because I'm like, I have no clue how we're going to move forward in season three. Yeah, it's kind of like you could consider this the Avengers endgame for Mob Cycle. And then season three is like (laughs) everything that happens after Spider Man No Way Home. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or I know, like, this is a side, but I know, like, Marvel announced its, its next phase phase five or six or whatever what they plan to do but in terms of the show it's like yeah you you face the ultimate villain in claw like what is there next for mob to face and if i do see that the manga ended its run in 2017 so if season three is supposed to conclude the show like how are you going to top this fight yeah and before we give our final thoughts we did also have a chance to watch the ova for season two which is Reagan taking the boys, the boys being Mob, Ritsu, and Tedu, and then his new employee, Serizawa, to a hot spring. Yeah, an onsen to get rid of this like spirit that's like trapping people. So Reagan gets trapped, um, and everyone's enjoying the hot springs while Reagan thinks he like cannot escape his fate. Um, And yeah, I just thought the, the OVA was fun. Like, I thought it was a solid OVA. It didn't, it was a nice way to kind of step out of the big villain type of arc at the end of season two and back into that slice of life mode um, where we just kind of see Reagan and the gang doing the things that they do best. <laughs> and I thought it was, it was fun. Like there's nothing else to really say about it, at least from my end. Like it was just a fun added bonus that followed up the show and shows Ser- Serizawa kind of becoming part of this new group. Yeah, I like it how it's just Reagan that gets the short end of the stick in this episode <laughs> as the one person who actually doesn't have psychic powers being stuck in the parallel world. Well, you have Serizawa who's able to just go back and forth at his, at his own whim while Reagan's suffering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just, this was just, again, a fun episode to watch after the intensity of this second claw arc. Yeah, it's good. If anyone hasn't watched the OVA, I highly recommend it. Um, it's not. It doesn't. It didn't feel like a waste of time type of OVA. I think it. I, I assume it's canon. If not, like it feels canon, and it's just a nice bit of um, bit of like what next after the end of season two. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for Mob Psycho 102. So on a scale from zero to Mob Psycho 102, what would you rate this season? I would give it an 8.5 out of 10 or an 85 out of 100. I think it's definitely better than season one. Animation, fucking amazing. Character development was so satisfying. The humor hits just as strong as it did in the first season. Um, There's just like a lot of great improvements that we see 
throughout season two, but there are a few key sticking points for me, which kind of hold me back from giving it like a nine out of 10. And again, it's not understanding the motivation of the goals or the reasons for the big baddies. Like why was Claw wanting to take over the world? Why did the villain want to rule everything? Was the reason simply because he thought he was the strongest and that gave him the right to rule? It was just very surface level reasoning that it felt equivalent to a villain being evil for the sake of being evil. Similarly, um, Sho played a decently significant role in this season after being teased last season as like a potential threat, but then he's suddenly the good guy and Ritsu just suddenly sides with him um, without, you know, a lot of convincing and he just wants to stop his dad. Like this whole time he had good, good uh, intentions. Like they're kind of telling us the pieces rather than showing them to us. Um, and I, I think the final sticking point is just the way the show ended in episode 13 like it just it was all resolved so fast i almost wish they added one more episode make it 14 episodes so they could fully flush out the climactic battle with suzuki and then everything that happened afterward but what about you yeah i would give this season an 85 out of 102 <laughs> there you I gave, go <laughs> i gave um uh the first season i think a 75 out of 100 so i, I did like season two much more than season one because I think Mob really grows into his own in this season, having learned to shoulder his responsibilities with his psychic powers in season one. This time around, he kind of serves as a beacon to others about using their psychic powers wisely while also being informed by the personal connections that he's made in his life that keep him well-rounded and kind-hearted, which is in stark contrast to all the other psychics and espers that are around him this season. Um, I think him being informed by the personal connections is highlighted most notably by the two-episode arc that shows the importance of Mob's relationship with Reagan, which are probably my two favorite episodes of the entire series this far. So I think in this season, Mob becomes the quote-unquote protagonist of his own life rather than the background character he originally thought himself to be. Because I think in season one, he just wanted to be a regular person and not like not the protagonist for his his community and it's kind of it's just heartwarming to see the progress he's made as a character in this regard and i think what he has has learned to become is summarized in something i think he said to suzuki in the final episode having powers doesn't mean everything works out for you but that's fine as long as you make the important choices yourself or to tie back into this season's op your life is your own, right? That's one of the lyrics of the song. Um, I agree that, you know, the claw arc with the leader, Suzuki, just felt like a, a rehash of season one's final arc where you have all these new claw characters, but none of them really hold a candle to the power that Mob has. I know it, this arc kind of makes the show interesting by making Mob teeter the line between, or of teeter the line of being consumed by his, his power but it just makes the newly introduced characters feel more like throwaways than actually being a threat. So overall, season two, like it hasn't sold me on being a huge fan of the series as many others are, but I think the story is still good enough to keep me in anticipation for season three and whatever may be the next conflict or obstacle that Mob has to face in his life. 
Yeah, and look forward to that review of Mob Psycho 103. Again, we may share some um, some initial thoughts on the first two episodes that we'll get a sneak preview of, hopefully, at Crunchyroll Expo. Um, it'll be on our Patreon if we do that. We'll try not to spoil anything, but we are very much looking forward to the third season in October 2022, and you bet we'll do a review on that. But thank you, everyone, for listening to this review of Mob Psycho 102. Hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.